Good morning. My name is Jim Barcliffe. I'm the pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship, and we are glad that you've chosen to join us this morning uh, as we share from the Word of God with you. I pray that as we approach this time of, uh, and certainly the Easter season, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I pray that everybody would experience the Lord and experience the reality that He is risen, and He is risen indeed. And so I pray today that this message will touch you. We've been talking about the attributes of God in the last few weeks, about God being good, and, and God being gracious, and God being powerful, and God being compassionate. I pray that you would experience who He is, because He is desiring to touch you, and speak to you, and have a relationship with you. And just as we always do, if anyone does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, has never really given your life to Jesus, today may be the day that God really knocks at the, the door of your heart and, and just that you bow your heart and, and bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you. I need to know the forgiveness of sin and I need to know that I have eternal life with Jesus forever and ever. Your friends gone before you, the Christians, and they're in heaven. We want to see them one day. We want to be with them and it will be a big family reunion. It's going to be beyond anything could happen here on this earth. And so I'm sure that if you're from Texas, they're going to have brisket and they're going to have beans and so forth and potato salad. So don't miss it. Trust in Jesus. Amen. That's going to be good. Okay. I, some of you say, well, Jim, how do you know that all that stuff is going to be in heaven? I know because God is good and he's good all the time. And when he's good like that, he's good at giving us what we want, what we like. And I like brisket. Okay. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So let's pray. Again, well, thank you, Father, for this day. And thank you for the privilege of coming together in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Thank you for these that are here in the sanctuary, but also those who are watching today by live streaming or whatever means of uh, Lord's social media. We pray and ask that you would touch them, that, Lord, you would just reach through that particular uh, type of media and touch people's lives and hearts, Lord, and change us and help us to realize our need of you in our lives. And dear Lord, today, surrender our hearts and lives to you and Father, walk with you throughout this age, Lord all the age to come. We thank you, Father. We bless you. We thank you, Father. We pray today as we've been talking a little bit about fear. We ask you, Lord, today that you would just deliver us from fear. We ask you today that you would impart the reality that you are with us and you're in complete control, that we're not walking alone. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're with us now and we believe that. And so we'll walk certainly at the knowledge of that so we love you lord we praise you and you speak and let me get out of the way and let your word and your truth go forth in power we pray this in jesus name amen amen john chapter 15 one verse verse 13 john chapter 15 verse 13 greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. No other greater love, right? There's nothing greater than someone to lay their lives down for you. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. And so we're going to look at today, not necessarily in all the, <clears throat> the theology behind the cross, but we're going to look at actually uh, the love of God demonstrated through the cross and what he did for us. Because it's miraculous. And obviously you're sitting here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus is that you know that obviously the miracle, the new birth is a miracle. And it was done because Jesus went to Calvary. He didn't have to. 
but he went voluntarily and he laid his life down for all of mankind. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All he says is, you receive, the gift is there. And so the cross of Christ, by which we mean his suffering and death and resurrection is a topic actually packed with many things. Without the cross, there'd be no Christianity. Paul says without the resurrection, actually, too, that we would die in our sins. We would Obviously, we would be lost. We would be alienated, separated from God Almighty throughout eternity. But because of the cross, because of the resurrection, is that we can have eternal life. These things are essential to the Christian faith. No other religion has those particular essentials. Confucius and the way he sort of, we felt some people think he has wisdom and how to direct your life and so forth, or uh, Muhammad and so forth, all those, and Buddha and all. I don't know if you've gone, gone to a Chinese restaurant and, and here Buddha is sitting over here in the corner and so forth. He has no power. He didn't raise... He wasn't raised from the grave if he was a real person, certainly here. He actually, that philosophy there that maybe if you just sort of pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, you can do a little bit better, you can get through it. But see, Jesus came to give us life, true life, and give it to us more abundantly. Jesus came because he, he give, gives us that. No other religion in all of history says things the way he says. And so, so the message of the cross in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It makes all the sense, and it's so wonderful. Amen? The Jews demand miraculous signs, and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. How many of you know that the weakness of God is actually so much more stronger than our strength? Amen. No comparison, right? And obviously, and our wisdom is nothing compared to divine wisdom of God Almighty. But for those who have not received, that continue to have the blinders of Satan on their, the hearts, their eyes' heart, is that they think this stuff is foolishness. What are you talking about? Uh, they born in a manger. God Almighty, you're saying that God was uh, there, was born of a virgin and, and the Virgin Mary and so forth and, and walked around and uh, was a carpenter and all. And, and then he knew that eventually he was destined to the cross and all to, to be resurrected, to be nailed to that old rugged cross, to have those spikes in his hands and his feet to have the crown of thorns, to have the spear in his side. All those things is foolishness to the world. Doesn't make sense at all, does it? So Christianity is unique in that, certainly. Is, is the cross, it defines Christianity, though. Without the cross, again, we'd be all in our sins. Uh, obviously, it distinguishes our faith from every other system of belief. So my goal today is not, obviously, to somehow unpack the meaning of the cross, certainly, because we could go on and on and on forever talking about that here. But I want to talk about one aspect and focus on it, and that is the love of God Almighty as demonstrated in the cross and what he did. We've talked about in the past the phileo love of God and agape love of God. The phileo love of God actually is an experiential knowledge. There's experience with the Lord and understanding the personalness of God Almighty, the one who spoke and creation came into being, who put it all, who hung the stars in the sky, 
the one who, who said it all powerful, all knowing and all present. The God Almighty wants a relationship with every person who will bow their hearts and receive that God we're talking about, that love of God Almighty. And sometimes you think, well, maybe if I sort of get, make myself good enough or get everything, get my house in order, so to speak, in that way, and then I'll come to God. No, God came just like we are and to save the world from its sins. The wonderful blessing. So we want to talk about the love of God as demonstrated in the cross. And again, greater love is no one than this. No greater love that he laid down his life for his friends. And then in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners. Do you know when you came to Christ, you are a sinner. And somehow you recognize by the power of God, by the grace of God, by his, the moving of the spirit of the Lord in your heart. That you recognize, I need a savior. I realize I'm a, a sinner. You see, without the spirit of God showing that to you, you'll never change. You'll never come to Jesus because the Bible says that unless the spirit of the Lord draws him, you can't come to the Lord. The spirit of the Lord, you're here because God loves us so much that he, his spirit drew you. And, and brought you into a knowledge, a heart knowledge, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And somehow by His grace is that you bowed your heart and said, Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me. I know that I am full of sin and I want to be cleansed. I want to be free from this. I want to be pure as, as wind-driven snow. God is saying today, this is what it's all about, you see. Jesus performed many good works, we know. He went around and He healed people. He raised the dead. He delivered people. He, he obviously comforted and healed people who were emotionally distraught. He did lots of good things and all and people who were desperate. And, and that's what he came to do. And he demonstrated who he is by those miracles, certainly. And we get, by the way, he still does miracles today. And all of us, if we'd open our eyes to it, we'll see it. God will show us. He does them a lot. We're seeing testimonies in this church today of miracles that are taking place right here in this place, this assembly. And God has does those miracles. He fed uh, thousands of hungry people. We know all about, about the fishes and the loaves there. And he fed thousands with those little fishes and the loaves and, and so forth. And so he, he miraculously multiplied these things. And that's who our God is is that He miraculously does great things beyond our understanding in our lives. He's so good to us, and He's so miraculous in that way. And so we see here is that God obviously is doing great things, and, and obviously Jesus revealed His love through doing those great things. But what, obviously, He did in His death, He rose from the grave. So we know He is God Almighty. And so why is that? Why would the death of Christ demonstrate love more than all the good things that Christ did during his life? I want to mention three reasons. First of all, is that when you give your life for someone, it's the greatest gift possible. You can't give anything more. You're actually giving your all, aren't you? When you lay your life down for someone, there's nothing left, certainly. And so obviously, you think about it. Take an organ donation, certainly. And, and say someone has a bad kidney. And they go, somebody feels led to give the kidney to the person who, who is obviously in need of a transplant. And they have a one kidney taken out. Well, they still have one kidney, don't they? 
And so they can still live off of that one kidney, certainly. And they don't want to have kidney problem because then they may have to get a transplant. But they don't give their all in that way. And certainly that is sacrificial giving. But they're not giving their all, certainly here. And so when we see this, Jesus came and, and it was an act of selfless love choosing to, uh, to die on the cross. The ultimate demonstration of God's love. So if you've always sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and all that, we sing that and we sort of sing it out of rote. We just sing it, don't we? But it has so much meaning today. Again, knowing the love of God, experientially done in the depths of our heart will set you free. You do not want to sin against him. You wouldn't want to do anything to break his heart. And you would want to please him just as Jesus said, only live to please the Father. Your whole attitude will change when you know the love of God in that way. The cross demonstrated that love. He gave himself ultimately, obviously, without anything in return, knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that not everyone would receive what he did for mankind. He still went to the cross. I remember, obviously, I was raised in the church and so forth and did not walk with the Lord for many, many years and, and all. But when God touched my life and, and when I really encountered the Lord in such a powerful way, I realized that God, Jesus, would have went to the cross if I had been the only sinner in this world. That he still would have went to Calvary. If Jim Barcliffe was the only sinner, I, he still would have went to Calvary. Isn't that something? And you can say the same thing. Because if you today personally would say that if I was the only sinner, Jesus still would have demonstrated his love through the cross by going to the cross for me. The only one. But we know that God, Jesus went and died for the sins of the world. But if you've been the only one, that's how personal he is. That's how intimate he is with his children. And that's what he's done for all mankind. And he waits and he waits for those who are in rebellion who are against him, who don't want to have anything to do with God. And you see today, I always say, if people really understood that, and down the depths of their hearts, and you pray and pray and pray, this place would be packed out. The churches today would not be able to hold them. In fact, people would be getting together regardless of what was being said, because they would want to hear the word of God, because they'd want to fellowship with people. They'd want, obviously, that, that fellowship and communion with the saints, which is so important. They'd want that, and they'd be packing the church today but we need to pray that pray that for those lost family members for our neighbors we need to pray for others as god brings them to your mind about their lack of salvation needing jesus in their life today because they need to know they are loved they are loved everybody else can hate you everybody else can turn away from you and everybody else can reject you but jesus will never turn away he loves us with an everlasting love he'll never turn away that's the blessing of knowing. So that love was demonstrated. But uh, we know that we sometimes give and we know we give to charities and so forth and all. But many times we got something left over. We haven't given our all. Jesus gave his life for all of mankind. Job said in, in chapter two of Job, a man will give all he has for his own life here. Our life is the most precious thing we have. You think about it. And Jesus gave that life. Because when it's gone, when it's gone, nothing else we own of is any use to us. Your life's gone. Everything is gone, isn't it here? So we see here is it shouldn't surprise us as disciples of Christ that we're to make the same sacrifice, obviously, that he did. Most of us probably won't be called on to literally give our lives. 
if we were lit missionaries in foreign fields and so forth. There's a possibility of that. Or it may not be. But sometimes that we are. We don't know. We don't know that time. We know that obviously that there may be persecution on the horizon. I've talked about that. But we know that in this of we have never given our all. We've never laid our life down for that, but Jesus did. And he gave certainly willing. So uh, we need to obviously hold on loosely. We need to come to Jesus with open hands, don't we? But we, sometimes we clutch and we cling and we sort of scramble to hold on and so forth and all. We need to let go of life. We need to live life the way God has called us to live life and not in all these things of uh, just upsets and and fear and and all this because you see one of the biggest tactics that the enemy uses is fear it is fear he uses that against you and me so what does fear do it cripples you you can't do anything because why because all you focus on is pun upon that fear that's in your heart god is saying today he just coming and give it to me today give those things to me i will see you through Certainly. Remember 9-11? What happened? People rushed in there. Firefighters, police officers, and others. They, they, they ran to where the crisis was. They gave their lives. They couldn't give anymore. And many of them died as a result. But many of them were able to rescue some of those in those towers as they knew they more than likely would collapse. They ran into it. They gave their lives. Think about it in the reality of a police officer even. A police officer fighting with someone who's actually committed a crime and something maybe they've gotten the best of that criminal and and all and 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 then maybe the criminal is is injured and so forth. What does many times you see the policeman do? The policeman's going over there in time to bind up the wounds of that person. And that person may have just tried to kill him and they gave their life and and went back and said, I'm still going to try to help you. I'm still going to apply CPR on you or whatever it may be. They give their lives like that. Most of us will not have that particular uh, confrontation here. You've got to be Lord of your life. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, he's not talking about hating them. He's just talking about Jesus has to take priority over our mother and father, his wife or his children, his brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple in the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple what he's saying here is that you can't have something else that supersedes jesus christ he has to be first in our lives there's no other way why it's because he knows what's best he knows without that then we get into a lot of heap of trouble doesn't he he knows when he's first in our lives that our whole priorities change and that is obviously living for him here and sharing the gospel being prepared for eternal life forevermore. He knows that. We won't be. We're going through life 100 miles an hour, aren't we? And we don't even small, stop to smell the roses. We are just flying through life here. Jesus said sometimes we get off track as a result of that. He's saying today is he's got to be priority. You've got to lay your life down. He doesn't say hate your mother or father or hate anybody. Basically, what he's saying here is that basically they cannot come and be above that. We love everything else. And these things that get in our lives and the world is just drawing us. The enemy's drawing us and the flesh is drawing us. We don't see Jesus Christ has to be Lord of our lives. Because many times we just go, ah, I accepted him as a youngster. 
or I accepted him and, and so forth. I didn't realize that I signed up for this. But he's got to be Lord. But when you make him Lord, things start to change. And he gives you the power and strength to do that. But until you really are committed, until you're really saying, I'm serious about my walk with you, then he sort of lets us go on until we come to the end of ourselves. And then we look up and say, help me, Jesus. That's who our Lord is. Take up your cross daily. And you see, the cross is a symbol of death. And so when Christ says we must carry our cross, he means we should live as people who have died to this world. You see, this world is not our friend. As people whose treasures are not here, but stored up in the world to come. We've got to realize this is not our home. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims passing through. This is a temporary pass through. Just in preparation for to be able to live with Jesus forevermore. Amen. That is the exciting thing about life. Get your eyes on this world. You'll get depressed. How many of you know that? You get your eyes on the, even our health that's ever changing. Our situation in the world. Our jobs. And, and everything else changes here. Jesus doesn't change. If you get your focus on that, you'll get depressed. And you get down in the dumps. But you keep your focus on eternity. That this is where I'm going. And things begin to change because you see, that's where we'll live throughout the rest, eternity, evermore, everlasting, never, ever stop. It's infinite heaven and being with Jesus. There's no, no better, obviously, focus that you can have. But obviously, we sometimes would to maintain a mindset that everything we have belongs to the Lord and is available for his use at any time without hesitation or complaint. Everything we have is his. How many of you know that? Not just 10% in the tithe, not just in our offerings today and sometimes and so forth. We don't believe uh, just trying. He says tithe because obviously, watch, I'll pour the blessings from the storehouse from heaven. Their blessings are unlimited when you tithe like that to be able to, to obviously to uh, help support his kingdom and what's happening on this earth because he wishes none to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. He wants every person on this earth. You and I have obviously the answer. That people are looking for. And so it takes finances. And obviously your time and so forth. And also your energies. To be able to do that. To accomplish what God wants for you to do. While you're here on this side. See that's what we're here for. Not to obviously see. When we die. That we can maybe leave with the most toys. He's saying here. We've got to live for eternity. Certainly. Christ gave his life. He gave everything. Can we give any less to him? Think about it today. The second reason here is Christ's death was such an amazing act of love is that he gave his life for his enemies. He gave his life. You see, before we came to Christ, we were enemies of God, according to what the Bible says. We had a mindset that we were against. We didn't want the things of God. We were his enemy. And yet Jesus still went to the cross. He died for his enemies. You see, it's not necessarily anything that... Uh, uh, if you give your life for a friend or a family member or someone else and so forth, uh, I mean, what is that actually? You would have this kind of call to do that. But would you die for your enemies? Would you die for those who rejected you? Would you die for those that cursed you? Would you die for those that spit in your face? Would you die for those that ultimately just rejected what you were doing and called you every name in the book? Jesus did in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, listen, 
Will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die? But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He died for the enemies. See, we're all enemies. But he died for us. He died for all of mankind, obviously. Christ didn't give his life for us until after we got our act together. Christ died for us just as we are in all the mess in our lives, all the luggage that we bring into the relationship, everything. He takes us for who we are and he died for you and for me, you see. Those who showed contempt for his love and mercy, they obviously uh, turned away in all. They were obviously uh, totally, adamantly against him. Think about it. He came down, born in a virgin there in the stable by Mary there, uh, a virgin. He came down and he gave his life in, in that manner. He did that without anybody pushing him. He did that for enemies. You think what he went through. And when he started preaching, there were people, that little motley group of men who gathered together, called his disciples. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand the spiritual things until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. They just followed this guy. Why? It's because they, they saw someone who loved like they'd never understood. They saw someone who reached out to the downcast, those who had been rejected by society. They saw someone who healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind, who raised the dead. They saw someone like they never had before. They didn't understand it all. But they followed Jesus Christ because of who he is. But Jesus walked around. He didn't have a big church. He just had just 12 people, didn't he? He didn't have a whole lot of a whole big crowd of people, did they? He just had a small, motley group of people. Did sometimes you feel that way? You're just a motley group of people here. We're trying to get through, be disciples, and learn and love Jesus. How do you mean you feel like that today? I do. Amen. I'm a candidate. I'm getting through. But you see how important the disciples were? And how important you as disciples are also in the kingdom of God today? But you see, Jesus went around. But he knowing eventually, I mean, they just rejected him. They called him every name of the book. They tortured him again. And I can't understand if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ. Maybe it's some, somehow it, some of the things are there that you see. and it, It's tough to watch what he went through physically, but not just physically, emotionally. Emotionally, I believe, was even more painful to Jesus. You think, think about it. God Almighty came down and to die for your sins and my sins, longing to be with us throughout eternity. But it had to be his way. We wanted our way. We want to do things our way. But you think about it emotionally. He knew and people rejected him. And don't you think he would want to say to those people that rejected him, please, please rethink this. I want to be with you. I love you so much. I'll give my life for you. And I want to be with you throughout eternity. Can you imagine the emotional pain that the, the Lord of all creation felt as a result of that? And yet we see he died for those enemies. Those who would turn their backs on them. And Luke chapter 6, it says, But I tell you who hear me, 
Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Think about it today. As a follower of Jesus, you ready to bless your enemies? Okay. I love to be around people who like me. I don't know about you. I love that. I'll, 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 I'll gyrate over to those who, hey, I feel real comfortable with and who I know like me and who kind of pat me on the back. Way to go, Jim. Way to go. It's good. You, you're doing good, Jim. Keep preaching. You're doing good. But what about those who don't like you so much and who speak evil about you? Those who just don't like you. Those who somehow, they just can't say a good word about you. What do you how do you feel about them? What's the Bible say about that? Now, I know that I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here today, but I'm stepping on my toes. What he says is to bless them. To speak good of them. Don't criticize them. We know right from wrong. And he's not saying, obviously, to, to, to see and then look over that. We know that. But what does he say in spite of that? What does he say that trumps everything? He says, bless them. Jesus blessed, didn't he? That's what we're to do also, to make a difference in society. But what is the first thing when somebody comes in and really rejects you or maybe speaks harshly of you? What, what happens? Man, you bristle, I bristle. You bristle, whoa, hair on the back of my neck raises up. Okay? But what does he say to do? He says to love them, to bless them, to do good unto them that persecute you. I don't know what will happen here in the United States or anywhere else in, in, the, in the future. I do know. There is some more antagonism towards Christianity here than I've seen in the past. And who knows what the future holds as far as persecution of the Christian church. How are we going to respond? You're going to be able to bless those that persecute you? You see. Makes all the difference in the world. Certainly. You love, obviously, hateful people, spiteful people, disagreeable people. Then you're acting like Jesus. Isn't that absurd? But it's the word of God. And it's true. Those who are spiteful. Those who, what does he say? Obviously, he, they hurt you over and over and over and over and over again. And you go, hey, they hurt me once. I can forgive them. What if they hurt you again? What if they continue to hurt you over and over again? You see, one time we go, oh, man, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to let, I'm going to forgive them and, and so forth. But what if they continue to hurt you over and over and over again? What does he say? Seventy times seven, forgive them, right? And that's not just 490 times. That's on and on, infinite forgiven. Why? It's because He forgave me in that way and He forgave you in that way. And somebody doesn't forgive, they don't know the love of God. They've never experienced that. And they don't see how great their sin is before a holy God. That's why He says forgive, as I've forgiven you. Now, we'll talk about it in a minute, how that's done. But that's not always easy, you see. It's tough, but that's what He did. He demonstrated His love for us. At the cross. And they didn't like him at all. They didn't like. They, they just like man. You're not coming in here. Taking this power away from us. We're the religious system here. Even religion kills you see. And a lot of people sometimes have, have left the church. Is because religion took place of relationship. 
and they've walked away. Why? It's because they've been battered and bruised more than they were even when they were in the world. The church is a place for the sick. The place that people can come and be accepted and prayed for and loved and accepted today and counseled and, and worked through the things of life together in community. That's what it's about today, you see. Maybe an angry neighbor, obnoxious boss, unpleasant co-workers, even be a family member who treats you like an enemy, a son or daughter, whoever it may be. It can be anybody, that can't it? When that happens, so what do we do? Well, we need to reconcile. Confess your own fault. You need to. We're none perfect. We need to go humble ourselves, confess our faults, certainly, and make amends. But ultimately, if that person doesn't change, you've got to go on and bless them and forgive them no matter what. Maybe you've got somebody like that in your life today. You see, we're responsible for loving them. That's our responsibility. We're responsible, what, for turning the other cheek? The Bible says, that's tough. This is tough. You say, Jim, come on. Let's get back to the love of God. You've gotten off track here. But you see, it's confrontation in our heart because the word of God confronts. The word of God does that, but why? It's because he wants the very best for you and me. The only way is that we do and respond the way he would have us to respond. Obviously, would you try to save the life of somebody that just tried to kill you? We see that, certainly. Maybe those who malice and slander you or hate you or reject you or whoever it may be. Maybe you've done you wrong, whatever it may be. How are we going to respond? Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The person who refused to give, again, they haven't experienced that. You see, I was a sinner. I mean, in the pits. And God showed his love to me. He didn't have to. But he did. And I'll be forever grateful. I don't always acknowledge it. And I should. But when I get down to the nitty gritty. That's when I reflect upon what really is real in my life. And what's important. And that is how great my God is. And how great he forgave Jim Barcliffe of all of his sins. And cleansed me of all unrighteousness. Not because of anything I could do. But what? Because Jesus demonstrated his love for us when he went to the cross. Calvary, certainly. The, the third thing here that makes Christ's death on the cross is, is obviously so, it's a so magnificent display of love is that was completely voluntary. In John chapter 10, the reason my father loves me, Jesus is speaking, is that I lay my, down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I receive from the Father. He says he lays it down voluntarily here, doesn't he? He obviously, not because when Herod said, uh, remember, I, I, I'm, you know, uh, I have power over you. Remember what Jesus said? You have no power over me that my, he my Father in heaven didn't give you. It comes from the Father. And remember, he didn't obviously come to that place of voluntarily uh, laying down his life because obviously he was a place where he couldn't escape. It wasn't that at all. He laid his life down willingly. That is a demonstration of the love of God like nothing I've ever seen. He didn't hesitate there. He had this motley crew of disciples. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, they went to sleep. They said, don't sleep because Satan is going to, he's coming. He's on a rampage here because he knows what's going to happen here. 
in a little bit. Remember, they went to sleep. They were sleeping. And he came back, and, and they, he said, can't you stay awake just a little bit? Remember? They couldn't even do that today. Jesus kept on. And so basically what happened, even after crucif- at the time of the crucifixion, his disciples ran and hid. They all abandoned him. He laid it down voluntarily because he knew, obviously, this would happen. And Matthew 26, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? He called down angels, wiped the whole place out and say, Father, let's start over again. These rebellious knuckleheads. They're not responding to our offer of grace and love and peace and forgiveness. That's what the Lord is saying. The same way our love and service to one another should be that way. It should be like Christ. If we get where we feel like we're grueling in what we do and it's getting really boring and so forth, we need to go back and check where our heart is. Are we doing it because we love Jesus? Are we doing it for whatever reason, whatever motive it may be? You see, and that's what happens in the fact that many times in, re- in our religious works and we do this and that. And before long, we feel like, man, I'm just I'm just grinding wheat here. I'm just grinding over and over again. Go back and say, because you see a person and, you know, a lot of times the church, they say about 15 percent of the people. in the church do the work. And, you know, I've heard sometimes people saying, Why can't we get anybody else to work and do anything around here and so forth? But you see, a person who loves Jesus will never say that. They'll go on and do what Jesus told them to do, and they never look at anybody else. They're so focused on following Jesus and doing what he he told them to do. But if we're not, and we have another motive to be seen by man, or to be obviously recognized, or get some type of attaboy type of thing, then we've got our eyes on the wrong place, and we've got the wrong motive. Jesus lays his life down. Do what God called you to do. Don't look at anybody else. Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me. But we have a tendency, don't we? To look around and say, I'm doing more than that one. Or whatever. Don't look at other people. Look to Jesus and do what he tells you to do. Why? Out of love for him. Because the only way that we can do those things is because we love him. That's why we need to fall in love with Jesus. That's why in the book of Ephesus, we need to obviously return to our first love because he is our first love. Amen. What we need to do, we need to do. We need to serve joyfully and say, Lord, what an opportunity to serve you. It's that love compels us. Second Corinthians chapter five for Christ's love compels us. Man, he motivates us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. Those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. His love compels us. Nothing else compels us. We have have that attitude, don't we, in closing. Where do we get the power to be able to love like Jesus loved? Where do we get the power to be able to do what Jesus tells us to do? Where do we get that power from? The Holy Spirit. Same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me as a believer. And we can go to the Holy Spirit and ask Him, I need your power. I pray for power every day. Told you, talk to you about it because I can't live this Christian life. I cannot resist sin without the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. I cannot. And when I begin to mess up, I know that somehow I've been falling into the flesh. I've fallen out of that walk in the Spirit. But I'll tell you that you'll never do it without the power of God's Spirit. 
And that's why he sent his spirit. Jesus said, it's expedient that I go to the Father. Then I can send the spirit who will be in you and will be with you. Jesus knew the necessity in his followers' lives that we would need his power. That's how we do it, how we love, you know. Somebody who's unlovable, somebody has just really spoken illly of you. I mean, actually, what happens when somebody speaks a lie about you? You know it's a lie. You know it's a lie. It doesn't mean you don't go and confront and make amends there. Some people may not change that. But you know when that lie is spoken about you, it's probably one of the worst hurts that anybody can feel when they speak a lie about you. So how do you overcome that? Only by God's Spirit. Going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't do this. And Jesus said, good, I can. And he'll do it through you, see. Philippians chapter 3, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. They're just no good at all here, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that is, in, is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained this all, all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul said, Everything else is rubbish. Everything else is worthless. Anything else in life without just really just having that wonderful intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is, is not worth a two cents piece. Nothing surpasses that. So the question today is, where are you in your relationship with Christ? Isn't it good that he renews us? Isn't it good to know that when we've drifted away that he's always there with outstretched arms? To take you back in. And say I love you. I'm just waiting for you to return. Remember the story of the prodigal son. Remember what happened. He squandered it all. He just you know. While living. Obviously. Gambling. Women. Everything else. He squandered it all. I mean some real bad stuff. Remember he was actually eating the pods there. That the pigs ate. He was in the dumps. And remember he said. He thought, the Bible says he came to his senses and he said, maybe my father will allow me to come back and stay in the servants' quarters. He didn't even say he was coming back to the father. Maybe, maybe he'll just allow me to come partially way back there. Maybe, just maybe by his gift. And he turned and he began to walk and the father ran to him. Put the robe and the ring and the sandals on him, all symbolic of blessings there. And said, once my, he said, my son was lost, but now he's been found. He's returned. You see, we've all been prodigals, haven't we? We wandered away. We squandered everything because we've been blessed from the day we were born. And we've squandered it away. But you see, we serve a wonderful, loving God who demonstrated His love on the cross through Jesus Christ, His Son. He gave His all, laid His life down, sacrificed it all. He died for His enemies. And He even laid His life down voluntarily. The wonderful blessing of knowing a God like that today. And I would just encourage anybody watching this live stream or someone here in this congregation who has never really, I'm talking about making Jesus Savior and Lord of your life. Today may be the day that you feel convicted that the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heartstrings 
and saying, give your life to Jesus. Don't wait another moment, you see. Because we don't have a guarantee for another moment. And we know that. And the day may be that day. The Bible says the day is the day of salvation. And if someone is in that situation, watching this or in this congregation today, I just, just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I know you're a sinner. And I know that you are the Son of God. And I know you died for my sins personally. And I want to know forgiveness. This shame and this guilt, I can't carry anymore. And I give my heart and my life to you. And I want to be saved. I want to know when I take my last breath that I'm going to heaven. I'll be in the presence of God Almighty immediately. The Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. That I'll be with him forever and ever throughout eternity. If there's anybody in here, I need you to come. You can come and talk to me and we certainly will pray and ask. But don't wait another moment if you've never done that. Maybe you've thought, well, it's religious time to be in church or maybe to listen to sermons by live streaming. But if you've never made that commitment, you see, it takes a step of faith in believing. And that means stepping. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He says, confess it. Confess it before the people. Confess it before God Almighty that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. It's a miracle, absurd to the world and foolishness to those who are not believers. But for those who do believe, it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen. That's never happened. Today may be today. Let us know your decision. Anybody here today can talk with me. I always linger. You can talk and just give me a side and just talk to me about it. You're never saved. I don't want anybody leaving this place today and, and feeling convicted and leave this place and not make a decision that God is knocking on your door's heart. The other thing is, is that you obviously, if you feel like, hey, I, I'm not living for God like I want. And you need to kind of uh, call it rededication or just renewal in your life or whatever. But I want to live for God. If you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I, I've never really, I believe him. I believe and I believe I've been saved, but I want to make him Lord. I want him to have my, all of my, because see, it's all his anyway. If that's the case, then we can talk and we can pray. Don't leave. Don't, don't allow the enemy to say, don't come forward because people are looking at you. Or because of this and that. Don't let all of those things. The enemy will do all he can to keep you from making a decision for Jesus Christ. The day may be that day. Don't wait. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, today that you're doing great and mighty things. And we bless your holy name. Thank you for Jesus who went to Calvary voluntarily died for his enemies, Father, and gave the ultimate sacrifice and all the totality of who he was. Father, today he lives and makes intercession at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. Father, so today we just come together, pray with you, and Lord, and pray as you are praying, asking you that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And asking you if there be anyone here that has made the decision for Christ or somebody watching this today, that today they would recognize that and they would be saved. They'd be born again. Today would be that day, Father. Thank you. Pray for your healing for those that are in need of healing. Pray for deliverance for those who are uh, being captive by the enemy. I pray right now against take authority over every enemy 
that's coming against those watching and also those in this congregation uh, right now. I cast you out in Jesus' name and ask you today, Father, that people would, would really know experientially the freedom that Christ came to give. Thank you, Father, for this day. I pray, Lord, as we approach this time and two uh, weekends, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I pray today that the resurrection would take on more meaningful significance than it ever has before for my life, for this church's life, for the world, dear Lord, as we celebrate Jesus Christ and what he's done for all of mankind. I pray that would take place. So Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to work that in our hearts and do that as we love Jesus and praise his holy name. We ask these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're glad you're here and watch today. We're glad we want you to come back next week. It's going to be a great message. Uh, I already have in my heart what I'm going to share with you and all, because obviously the Jews said, give us another Messiah. They didn't like the one that came. OK, and that's sometimes our attitude also, as we know that, uh, hey, uh, that I didn't that did I sign up for this when life gets tough. But remember one thing. Our God is in control and he has a purpose and plan for everything that's allowed to come into your life, no matter what it is. And so we give him praise and thanksgiving. Y'all have a blessed week and a wonderful joy of the Lord fill your heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen.